Jesus teaches from the life of a man whom he describes in a very extravagant way, I think. I'm talking of John the Baptist. And Jesus wants to teach the crowds who had followed John a lesson. And he describes this man, John the Baptist, in this way. He says, he's the greatest man ever born of a woman. So surely the greatest man ever born of a woman has much to teach us, wouldn't you say? I want you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11, please. We're reading from verse 7, a few verses here, that describe what Jesus is talking about, and there's a very profound lesson. I would, I would hazard to say that Matthew chapter 11 is probably the most prophetic chapter in the whole of the New Testament, perhaps apart from the book of Revelation, but certainly in the Gospels. It's important for us as a church to understand the admonition that Jesus is giving to the crowds here. It is a correction. It's an exhortation. It's a great encouragement in its correctiveness. So, we'll read together. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. Him being John the Baptist. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or what were you expecting to see? What kind of man? A man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People with expensive clothes live in palaces, right? So, what kind of man were you looking for? You were looking for a prophet? Yes. And he's more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the Scriptures refer when they say, Look, I'm sending my messenger or my forerunner ahead of you, like an envoy. But the biblical word is a forerunner. Runner, a one who runs before. It's pretty basic, isn't it? Look, I'm sending my forerunner ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. That's an Old Testament scripture which is referring to John the Baptist, who is a transfer bridge from the Old into the New Testament as a prophet. I'll tell you the truth. I don't know why Jesus puts that in, because it's impossible for him to do anything other than tell us the truth. I like that about him, don't you? No shadow due to change. Ever faithful to confront us with truth alongside of grace. So that it actually is a balm. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, which is what intrigues us and therefore provokes us to say, well, what is it about the greatest man who ever lived that we need to hear and understand? 
so that our lives may more fully reflect God. Yet, this is a staggering statement. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. I like that phrase, don't you? That gives me great hope in the midst of such a dark, fallen world. The kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing now for 2,000 years, and the violent take it by force. What kind of person are you expecting to see, says Jesus? And he asks the same question three times. Look, in verse 3, he says, what kind of person would you expect? Um, a reed, sorry, verse 7. Mm, what kind of person? A weak reed swayed by every breath of wind. You know when you go down to a marshland. There are many reeds there, and when the wind blows, they, they all sway this way. It's quite attractive, actually. And then the, the wind changes, and they sway that way. And the wind dies down, and they just only move gently. And then the wind comes with force, and they, they almost lie flat. What did you expect? Why is Jesus using this? Well, I think it's pretty simple. He's trying to say, that this man, John the Baptist, is not like a reed that's easily swayed by every wind that's blowing through our culture. He's speaking of a person who would not compromise. Verse 11 says that John the Baptist was this forerunner. He was like an envoy. He was a man who was born before Jesus, who pointed to Jesus and died before Jesus. And his whole life is a placard saying, there's the one. Now, we are a forerunner generation. We are, if you like, a corporate John the Baptist. And so as we look at what John the Baptist was like, we get an impression of how we are to be like, how Jesus wants to conform us into the image of a placard that goes into the world and says, this is the way, prepare the way, I'm coming, I want you to get ready. I want to just illustrate this for a moment, please. I'd like, uh, Fresh, would you come with your three young men? I'm looking for four strong, muscular, effective young guys here. Okay, come quickly, please, we have more all day. All right. Good. Wes? Oh, we've got four. Good. We've got four men. Would you take hold of that chair, please? Now, I used to go uh, with great privilege into the nation of China and uh, visit the underground church there. And sometimes, out of the cities, I would go and visit. No, just stay right over there, please. Thank you. All right. I want you to each take a corner of the chair. And Simon, if you'd sit on the chair. Thank you. Fine. And in some of the towns, there's still walled towns in China. 
And there's a gate, of course, where people can come in and go out, and where the leaders of that town would scrutinize who was coming in and who was going out for the sake of security and safety. Now, sometimes the emperor of China would come and just stretch your imagination for a moment. I'm going to be the emperor. It's a long stretch, I know. He would be coming to, and you're the town. You're the people of the town. And the entrance to the town is right here. But the emperor would stay outside the town, but he would send a forerunner, an envoy, an ambassador to go into the town. Now I'm changing roles. Simon, you're going to be the emperor. And you four men are his servants to carry him on his palanquin where he will dispense his royal imperial favors. But before he comes into the city, before he comes into the town, before he enters through, he's sending a forerunner. And I'm the forerunner. All right, you can take your charge and lift him up onto your shoulders, please. Ready, Sam? Come on. Duh. Right up onto the, shol onto the shoulders, please. Where are you going? <laughs> this, the entrance is here. Okay, good. Whoa, stop right there. Can you put on your royal face, sir? And uh, can you dispense a few items of friendliness and kingship to the people? Get ready with those goods. You're not actually in the town yet, so just wait. So I'm the forerunner, and I'm coming to prepare the way for the emperor so that he can actually meet a people who are ready for him. Sir, I don't know whether you've heard. Have you heard about this emperor who rules the land? You haven't ever heard about him? He's a man of intense love. He truly loves you, and he wants you to know him. Did you know that? Well, repent and get down on your knees right now for your sin. And aha, uh -huh. are you are you ready to meet this this incredible? He's actually at the gate. Did you know about him? The emperor. Yeah, the emperor. Did you know about him? You didn't, huh? You did. You're not sure. You're a little indifferent. You're like a reed that's blown in the wind this way and that way. In the United States. Oh. Well, I did see you down the bar, rolling out of the bar last night at one o'clock in the morning. I'm calling on you to get ready for the emperor by repenting of your sin. <laughs> My dear, I hear there's a great need. The emperor has given me a great deal of power. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be gone, all sickness. Be delivered. Be set free from every cap. And so the forerunner is empowered by the emperor as his representative to come and prepare people. Are you prepared? You are. What is that preparation? I've been waiting and excited about him coming. My goodness, why are you sitting down when he's at the very entrance? You need to stand up. You, where is your flag, sir? Where is your preparation here? You... You, you are one of the followers of the emperor? Absolutely. 
uh, are you training anybody else in this, in this carnal society to, to represent the emperor? As many that want to. Oh, I like you stand up, so get ready, sir. Get ready, sir. Get ready, ma'am. Get ready, ma'am. The emperor. The emperor, and what about the rest of you? Is this how you greet the one who's coming again? <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's something like that. I've actually seen crowds you can, all, you can all take a seat now. Thank you so much. Give them a hand. They did a good job. You get the picture. It's funny, but it's serious. It's a paradox. It's an oxymoron. Well, do you expect, what do you expect this church to look like? We have so far to go, and yet we've come so far. But to progress, to hasten the coming of the king, there is much to be done amongst us. Like a reed, is that what you expect? Blown by every little kind of fad in our culture? Well, you know, just uh, there are many roads to the one true God. He's represented by many different gods. Are you a Christian? Yes, I am. You know, I, I go, I attend a meeting. But, you know, I mean, if there's a good ball game on television, you know, I probably won't make it this week. Is that what you expect of a forerunner? You said, Mike, you're being so intense. Yes, it is intense. Well, you know, everybody's into a little bit of porn. I've got to keep myself updated with what's going on. I mean, it's just a little breeze. I'll blow with this way and I'll blow with that way. And you know, the church, yes, it's got to come to grips with the, you know, the gender problem. You don't want to ruffle people too much. No, no, no. Is that what you expect? Or do you expect a prophet who's standing firm? Who knows what he believes? Who's not willing to compromise? Is that what you expect? Yeah. Remember going in to buy a new piece of luggage in a store. There was a very attractive young woman showing me the piece of luggage and she said, let me unzip it for you and show you what's inside. And as she bent down, she bent down, she was wearing a very loose shirt. It wasn't a shirt, but it was a loose whatever it was. And as she bent down, I knew I was going to have to make a decision. I was either going to give in to the lust and look right down through Pennsylvania Avenue, or I was going to have to turn away. You see, the little things, the small gray areas, are the enemy of the true forerunner. We are all tempted. And thank God for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. But we want a passionate, clean, 
pure forerunner who speaks more by his or her life than by their words. Well, look at verse 8. What kind of man did you expect? A man in soft clothing? A man in expensive jewelries and expensive... Who live in big palaces, said Jesus. Paul writes 1 Timothy 6.17. It's a warning about wealth. Now, there's nothing wrong with living in a palatial house. There's nothing wrong with having nice clothing. But there's something about the forerunner has put this under subjection to the main message. The point is, it's not so much about money, it's about compromise that Jesus is speaking. And here, Timothy warns us that the, the greatest temptation for the wealthy, and we're all wealthy in this room, it's relative, is wealth. We're all wealthy. When you compare refugees pouring out of Kurdistan right now, you are all wealthy. We are all wealthy. He says, now be careful. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. This is the teaching. Don't be proud. You see, the danger with money is that you can rely on money rather than Christ. That's the danger. It's an attitude of dependency. So when you give money away, you're weakening yourself. That's what giving does. It weakens you so you don't have the same provision for yourself and it weakens you to have to lean on God. And God likes that. The same is true of prayer. You weaken yourself. You give up time. When you could be doing other things that are more pleasurable, but you weaken yourself, and that causes you to lean on God to get stuff done in your time, Hannah, which is so precious. We spend two things in life, time and money. And some people, the third thing, which is people. We spend time, we spend money, and we sometimes use people. When you fast, you weaken yourself. <laughs> Anybody experienced a weakening in fasting? I remember fasting one time, and Penny was feeding our baby in the push in the, in the high chair, and I'm, I'm watching every spoonful that goes in the mouth, I'm going... I would just eat a little taste of that baby food. You weaken yourself, and so it throws you back on God for strength. What do you expect? Some soft-clothed Nancy? Then, then he goes on, and, and, and he says in verse 9, What kind of man did you expect? Well, a prophet? Yes, but more than a prophet. John is more than a prophet because he has the distinct rep uh, privilege of being the forerunner to Jesus himself. All the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied towards Messiah, but here is John in the flesh. He's more than a prophet. I'll tell you why he's more than a prophet. I went to a meeting one time and this man was introduced as a prophet. And he stood there like this. It was very intimidating. And then he began to move with what seemed to be, for me, very disruptive and harsh words of knowledge. 
I don't want you to think of John the Baptist as this harsh man. Yes, he was resolute. I mean, he went straight into Herod's palace. He was prepared. Now then, John, you know you're going to be seeing um, you're going to be seeing Herod this morning. You know his excellency, yep. and uh, it's a great honor for you. And when 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 you go in, you you wait until you're called, and okay. uh, you you um you wait for his bidding and you don't speak till he tells you to speak, right, John? Yep. We know sometimes you get a little bit temperamental down there in the wilderness. We understand. Could you take that locust <laughs> leg out of your teeth for a moment? Good, yes. And, and John, um, uh, when you finished uh, talking to the king, uh, then you, you, you go out backwards. You understand that way? Yeah. No. What, is jo- uh, what, is, what does John do? He goes straight in. He says, you adulterer. Yeah. My goodness, John. Have some political correctness, please. Is that what you expect? But here's the lovely adjustment with John the Baptist. Look at John 3, 29, where we're given a little more instruction about the nature of this man. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. Do do you remember the little story with the children there about the bouncing baby? That was John the Baptist, this prophet who's confronting adultery, who's out in the wilderness, who's sacrificing his life, who's radical, that's to do with roots, who's a revolutionary, that's to do with anarchy, who was a revivalist, for the Bible says that all in Jerusalem came down to hear him. Do you know, as a forerunner company, We are going to participate in pointing to Jesus' second coming. There will be a revival from shore to shore, from coast to coast, from north to south, from east to west. A great ingathering of maybe over a billion people all across every nation, every tongue, every tribe. There's a great revival coming for this forerunner company. But it's going to demand sacrifice. This man was in a wilderness, and it says all in Jerusalem came down to listen to him. It's it's a difficult journey from Jerusalem down to where John was, baptizing in the River Jordan, which is like the width of this stage hardly. I've I've been down that road with my wife Penny, and we go from about several thousand feet right down to below sea level. It's a steep old road. It would take a two-day walk. And here they come, because there's a hunger to hear a man who, after 400 years of silence, suddenly bursts onto the scene and says, I'm the finger pointing you to Messiah, the one you've longed for. He's here. He's at the very gate. Are you ready? And so Jesus, in this passage, is is correcting them, actually. He's actually trying to bring about a change here. It's a, little, it's a little bit corrective he's giving. And so we, 
we need not to think of John in the way I portrayed him with Tim, if that's anywhere near what happened. I think it's somewhere near what happened, because later on, Herod puts him in prison. Do you remember? And do you remember what happened after that? They all prayed, and he was gloriously released and came back to Jesus. No, they took his head on a plate and gave it to a young woman. His eyes were still open. His hair was matted with blood. And she said, Mom, you better have this. It was a bloody scene. So yes, John was this radical, this revolutionary, this revivalist, but the thing that motivated him, the very veins that pulsed with passion and zeal was because he was a friend of the bridegroom. In other words, he loved Jesus. And you can't love Jesus and not be tender. And you can't love Jesus and compromise. Although we do and we repent of it, that's the grace of God, isn't it? So in his DNA, he is part of the bride. In your DNA, you are the bride, engaged to the bridegroom. But in your service and in your ministry to God, you are a friend of the bridegroom. Now for men, being a bride, you know, flowers and dresses and all that stuff, you know, that's like... <sighs> but it's no, it's no weaker than a woman being a son of God. It's generic. It's male and masculine together. So men, be proud to say, yes, I'm part of the bride of Christ. I'm married or engaged to my coming bridegroom. But in your service, he's your friend and you're his friend. You're the friend of the bridegroom. In other words, he's with you to enable you, to help you, to give you courage, perseverance. This is not a hundred meter dash. I am now in my 78th year and I'm getting stronger on the inside. I'm more determined on the inside. I want to be a bright and shining light. This is the way that John 5 describes John the Baptist. I don't want to flicker out. I want to burn out. <laughs> Would you hold me to that? I'm exhorting you a little. So John, I believe, carried a very tender heart. Let, let me, let me uh, tell you that this is a man who is prophetic in the sense of the tenderness of his heart. Whereas this is a man who's prophetic and is very determined in his longing for what he wants to see as a forerunner. They're both complement each other. But let me just show you something for a moment, if I may. I'm illustrating John the Baptist. Now, <clears throat> first is first, and second would be second. Now, the Bible teaches us that the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
that's your emotions, all your soul, that's your personality, all your mind, and all your strength. Your strength is your money and your time. So this is a vertical relationship, a friend of the bridegroom. Here he is, loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That is the first commandment. But the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. The power, are you all right with your hands up there? Wow. <laughs> now turn around, please, John. And now you reach out your two hands to John to receive from him. God's putting into him, and now it's coming to you. That's the second commandment. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and he will empower you and download into you the ability to love with the love of God this one who is second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we put John into second place, and Jonathan is in first place, you lose both, is the point. You lose both. Thank you. So, so that in, in the society of the church sometimes, there are those who are just so passionate about worship and loving God and intimacy and the friend of the bridegroom, and that is all essentially perfectly good. But then there are others, they're all into community and into covenant and into, you know, helping the poor. And so, that's good. But there is a priority. The ability to do the second commandment comes from the first. That's all I'm saying. How about you? God had to adjust me. I was all into the horizontal in my life at one time. And God painfully, I mean, you talk about pain, Megan, this morning. Painful adjustment to come back because he's a jealous God. He says, you're my pride. Don't you go committing adultery with all other forms of pleasure, even if they're religious pleasures. So look at John. I believe he was tender. Look at this. He says, he waits and listens. That's the first commandment. He waits and listens. Could I ask me and you, where is the priority you are making in terms of sacrificing your time, weakening your ability to get all the stuff that's necessary for you to get done so that you may wait and listen? Not wait and talk. Wait and listen. That's quite a refined discipline. And the result of waiting and listening is full of joy when I hear the bridegroom's voice. <laughs> How many of you want to hear the bridegroom's voice more? Not the judge, although he is one. Not the king, although he certainly is one. But the bridegroom, this voice that John was talking about this morning, those of you that need to feel that touch of love again, the greatest longing of the human heart is to love and to be loved without shame. And only he can ultimately fulfill it. Not even marriage can, although it can go a good way. 
So look at verse 11 for me. I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How many of you are in the kingdom? You've been born again. You've come into the kingdom. You've come under the reign of the king. Well, how would you be greater than John the Baptist? This revolutionary, this one who lived with Jesus, this one who's full of joy, this one who was a revivalist. Greater than he? How can that be? Greater in this sense. Greater in power. For although John was filled with the Holy Spirit, we read of no miracles that he did. How many of you have prayed and had a little bit of a miracle? A little bit of a healing? A little bit of an answer to prayer? You're greater than John. In the sense of privilege. For though John had the privilege, the mighty privilege, of preparing as a forerunner the way of the Lord for his first coming, we, the forerunner community of God, have a greater privilege in preparing the way for not the first but the second coming. Like Dan said a couple of weeks ago, hastening the day. I mean, you remember your wedding day? You remember your day? Did you have a dress and a veil and flowers and shoes and all the stuff? And did anybody say to you, Amy, come on, look at the time. Get you dressed. No. <laughs> well, I chose the wrong person. Most brides... <laughs> You know, most brides, there's a time thing that's running away. You're going to be late. Get me to the church on time. What am I talking about? I'm, I'm suggesting to us that time is running by. We're probably at the end of the end, not the middle even. The clock is coming to midnight. He is a returning champion. And the way in which we actually hasten his day is by preparing this bride. So greater in privilege. I, I want to end with this really. Verse 12. And from the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people take it by force. My goodness. Sounds Sounds like John the Baptist was this, this revolutionary, you know. It doesn't mean a militaristic forcefulness or violence. It's not violence in that sense. It's violence in the sense that you're violent with anything that comes between you and this commission. It's violence in the sense of its wholeheartedness. Do you remember where Jesus said this? He said, suffer the little children to come to me. Suffer is an old English word, which means permit. The master doesn't suffer the little children to come to him because he's got more important. No, suffer them, permit them to come to me. So there's an, there's an entrance sign over this door to the kingdom which says, wholehearted. See, it's possible to be in the kingdom, but not of the kingdom in the sense of its DNA has grasped you. I, I, I don't want to look into my own soul and try to judge that or not. You know, I get confused and condemned. But the point is, 
of such is the kingdom. It's possible for you to be born again and in the kingdom and on cruise. Or it's possible for you to be born again and in the kingdom and you're of it. And you're progressing it. And you're wholehearted. And you're violent against things that hinder your soul from progressing. Ultimately, the characteristic of John the Baptist, what is this man like? He was a martyr. Put your hand up if you're a martyr. You don't understand me then. We are dead people, raised to life by the Spirit of God who dwells in us. You may literally martyr, I doubt it, but you are a martyr if you're a Christian. I was in Russia with my wife one time and I was at a university with medical students and I was sharing about John the Baptist martyrdom. And I did a foolish thing, as it seemed to me. At the end of the meeting I said, okay, would you all please come forward, those of you who are prepared to die for Jesus Christ. I thought, oh, what did I do? That's a stupid altar call. Nobody's going to respond to that. But then I remembered they're Russians. Huh. So I turned away because I was a little bit embarrassed. And I heard a chair creak. And this hall was, it was all old wood in the hall. And when I turned around, everybody except one person had come forward from that student body to a call to be a martyr for Jesus Christ, literally. And they were kneeling. They weren't standing. And I noticed on this dry, old, wooden floor were pools of tears. I'll never forget it. I was so provoked by it. I still am. You on the bleachers are mostly, I would suspect, under the age of 25. Put your hand up if you're over 25 on the bleachers there. Okay, you're my people. I want to issue an opportunity. I want to, I want to offer you an invite. I was once at a meeting of a missionary to Eastern Europe where the, the wall was still up. I was about 25 or 6. The man said this. He said, if you will go anywhere, anytime, anyhow for Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to come down here and say that to God. He said, God may not take you up on the offer, but then he may. Many years later, it was though God said, you remember that day when you said anytime, anywhere, anyhow? Well, the day's come. I want you to pack up your career, pack up your success, pack up your reputation, and come and serve another man that I will show you in the kingdom of God. And after that date, I went into over 70 different nations, short-term missions, preaching the gospel. I've never been so happy and privileged in my life. I want to say to you, young people, anytime, anywhere, anyhow, this morning, you want to make that commitment to Jesus. You come on down here right now, and we'll pray with you. In fact, I would open that to anybody. You say, well, I can't because I've got a wife and 14 children. I can't do that. Yes, you can. God makes a way.
were saying, listen, not lightly, anytime, anywhere, any place, I'm ready to go.